0: I'm Tavis Smiley. Delighted to have you in with us in this hour. Uh, Who's that? Christopher Williams? Yeah. If I'm dreaming, just let me sleep. Don't wake me up. Till my dream is complete in this hour a conversation. About being punished for dreaming. Being punished for dreaming. How school reform harms black children and how we heal. Thank you to Miles Lowe for pulling up a track that... uh, ushers us nicely into this conversation with the author of that book, Punished for Dreaming, How School Reform Harms Black Children and How We Heal, Dr. Bettina L. Love. Dr. Love, can you uh, can you appreciate Miles' work right there on that track?
1: I appreciate that. I, you, you took me back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> took us all back. That was a nice track from Christopher Williams. I uh, I hadn't heard that in a while, so we, uh, I'm glad Miles pulled that up. Uh, let me just jump right in. Um, and I said to the audience the other day, uh, we have a couple of great authors on the program today. Uh, there are a couple of times in the year, having written a few books myself, there are a couple of times in the year when the publishing world drops a bunch of new content, new books come out, and September is one of those months. The September list is a big list. A lot of books come out in the month of September, so if you're hearing some great conversations on this program in this month, it's because a lot of great new books that are coming out right about now, as uh, happens, as I mentioned a moment ago, annually in uh, in this country um, So uh, a number of great conversations uh, On tap for the rest of today's show But we start <clears throat> in this hour Dr. Patina L. Love and her new book Punished for Dreaming How School Reform Harms Black Children And How We Heal Let me just jump right in Make the most of this hour that we have And I'm glad we got an hour Because there's a whole lot to interrogate About this book Dr. Love And I thank you for writing it Let me just start with a with a point blank And direct question Is there now And has there been for some time now a war on black children as you see it?
1: Yes. I mean, let's, let's be real. The data tells us that what we know in our bodies tell us that what our common sense tells us that yes, there's a war on black children in this country. There's a war on black people in this country. So why wouldn't there be a war on black people on, on black children? Mm-hmm. But I think we don't think our schools would do that, right? Mm-hmm. We think our schools, are places of justice, our places, our places of love and they are, I know many teachers, I know many schools who are wonderful and great and loving and kind places, but our systems and our policies and our reforms make schools anti-black. And this book really wants to interrogate how educational policies that are supposed to be benevolent and benign and supposed to pull people up are actually punishing our children uh, for, the, for being black and being young.
0: Mm. Dr. Bettina L. Love is the William F. Russell professor at Teachers College at Columbia University uh, And so uh, she knows what she speaks of and she uh, writes a book called Punished for Dreaming uh, Let me just, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go here first uh, Unpack for me the genesis, if you will, of this war specifically on black children by our schools
1: So there's a few place, there's a few entry points I think we mm-hmm. should start The first entry point, I think, is we should start with integration. Brown versus the Board of Education. So 1954 is this landmark case that we are going to integrate, desegregate schools. Mm -hmm. And the backlash of Brown is something I don't think we have ever even wrestled with as black people or as a democracy in this country. What happened after Brown? Mm. So we have to first go before Brown. Before Brown we had an extraordinary, fascinating, amazing black educators who were highly credentialed, highly qualified. And we have research by Linda Tillman that tells us about almost 89,000 black teachers were teaching up to 2 million children in the South, particularly all around. Then we also know that in the South, between 30 to 50% of teachers in the segregated South in the 30s and 50s were black teachers. So black teachers were doing amazing work. Yes, they had less resources. Yes, they had less money. Yes, their school buildings weren't brand new and shiny, but they talk excellence, baby. We're talking about teaching students to their highest potential, as Vanessa Theta-Walker would say. And so when we segregate, when we integrated schools, and I and I use that word loosely because we never truly integrated schools because one group came to the table and other group left. Mm
2: -hmm. What we
1: lost, what we lost was an abundance of knowledge and caring and love and curriculum. And we lost teachers and we lost black principals by the droves. And we pretty much gutted black education at that very moment and a black teacher workforce at that very moment. And so here we are fumbling and scrambling. And by the 1980s, we start to see crime reform and education reform merge. And so there's a few entry points I would like, you know, just to, your audience to understand. In the ni- nineteen eighty,
0: Hold that thought one second. Hold that thought one second. I, I, I can see you about, to, you, about to, you about to get on a roll here. and <laughs> I do not want to stop you. Uh, let me do this, and when we come forward, I'm going to let you continue the role that you're on. You're listening to Dr. Bettina L. Love discussing her new book, Punished for Dreaming, right now on Tavis unapologetically progressive, progressive. unapologetically black, you're tapped into Tavis Smiley, more honesty than you can handle, more empowerment than you can imagine, you're tuned into Tavis Smiley, Tavis Smiley Smiley and Dr. Bettina L. Love, who is the William F. Russell Professor at Teachers College at Columbia University, award-winning author, Uh, her latest text is called Punished for Dreaming, How School Reform Harms Black Children and How We Heal. Uh, moments ago, I asked her uh to give me a bit more of the genesis of this war on black children uh by our schools. Uh, she said earlier in case you've just tuned in that black folk writ large are, uh, have been uh have been under attack uh from day one. So there's always been a war on black people uh, and if you can't uh, if there's a war on black people, then clearly there's a war on black children. Her point was though that when our schools though are the persons who are ushering in this war and uh, uh against children that's a problem nobody sort of expects that and she said to me that there were a number of entry points into this uh war on black children vis-a-vis its genesis and you were just ramping up with one of those entry points in the 1980s dr, <laughs> dr. love so take it away
1: yeah i appreciate that so the 191980, 1980 you have the right the republican party really thinking about the ways in which public education is no longer needed. And they start to write reports. They, there's, a, there's, a, there's some humming, there's some buzz around what they think is the flaws in public education and why public education should be defunded, why it should be privatized. That's 1980. Ronald Reagan takes office 1981, 1982, and we get, he declares a war on drugs, which we know is a war on black people. Mm-hmm. So that's 1982. 1983, Ronald Reagan releases this report called a nation at risk. Mm-hmm. Now, it's important to note that when I said that report in 1980 was already kind of written, before Reagan even takes office, they got the talking point for that report and it pretty much goes into a nation at risk. And so a nation at risk is one of the most consequential education reports in pre- probably last 50 years. And what it says is that our educational system is failing terribly and it is filled with misleading data I would say skewed data and some outright lies in this report. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to paint public education as badly as possible. And so what they what you start to see in the 80s is when they start to manufacture crises. So the war on drugs is a crisis that they manufacture. Then you have a nation at risk is a crisis that they manufacture. And the same year that a nation risk comes out, the D.A.R.E. program comes out. Mm -hmm. Now, who who creates the D.A.R.E. program? Daryl Gates. Mm -hmm. Who was Daryl Gates? The police chief. During the Rodney King execution massacre, they almost killed this man, right? He's the same police chief that says black people have different esophagus, so you can put them in the chokehold. It's okay. He's the man that creates the D.A.R.E. program that goes nationally into schools to tell children there's good folks and there's bad folks, and those bad folks should be arrested. Not only that, I want you to snitch on your parents. (laughs) So this (laughs) becomes. Where we start to see the merging of crime reform and and education reform merge. The next year, 1984, Reagan puts out another report called Chaos in the Classroom, where he's trying to argue that these kids are out of control, again, misleading data, data that is actually coming from the 70s, and teachers are saying, that's not really happening right now. But that is a far-gone conclusion. And in the back of all of this, you have the start 80s and 90s of uh, super predators we're called thugs, mm-hmm. crack babies and you start to see how education reform and crime reform merge to the of black children the language is there the crime reform policies are there and they start to ooze in and sink into educational policies so now we have schools that have zero tolerance mm-hmm. how do you have zero tolerance for children
0: exactly these are children mm-hmm.
1: children are supposed to have more tolerance than anybody because they just got here mm-hmm how do you start to have schools that have no excuses i'm a child and so we start to see what happens when people pretty much disregard a generation of children and here we are right i'm 44 years old if you ask anybody in their 60s and 70s they have no clue what we're talking about in education like they have no clue about policing schools and charter schools and vouchers and high-stakes standardized testing race to the top Uh, You have no child left behind. Teach for America. Massive student loan debt. These things are since the last forty years, Reagan and on. And what I argue in the book, I want to be very clear that each president since Reagan has had an educational agenda that has been anti-black in particular ways. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't mince words when it comes to Obama Mm -hmm. to anybody else because it's about our children. And so Mm -hmm. we have to be clear about what's happening if we're going to change. The course of public education in this country. You gotta name names and you gotta know what you're up against. And so this book names names and tries to help folks understand what is happening and how do we get here today.
0: As I said, there's a lot in this book. I, I know I was going to need the entire hour and then some. So let me let me let me get moving here. I got I got some work to do. Let me start excavating here. Um, what you've already said. Let me start with this, and I'm going to run through a list of questions that uh, that are popping into my head just based on again what you've already laid out for us. Let me go back uh, uh, back a ways first. Uh, when you said um, earlier that uh, after Brown v. Board, we never really truly integrated schools. I mean, I think uh, I think this is a smart audience. I think they understand that schools were never truly integrated. The question is. What was the impact of schools never being truly integrated?
1: That's a great question, and thank you for that. So I, we have to set the stage. So we have Brown versus the Board of Education. We passed this legislation. And then it takes other Browns. Like, we don't talk about the second Brown mm-hmm. because this country refused to integrate what researchers and lawyers call mass resistance. So you had school districts in Florida and Arkansas who closed school down for all children. Mm-hmm. They didn't just say black kids can't go to school. My own children, my own white children, I'd rather close schools down for every child rather than put these black children in the same classroom with my children. But what we also saw was the making of private school in this country. We didn't have a lot of private schools. After Brown versus the Board of Education, you see a proliferation of private schools and you see the government give them tax breaks and what we would call segregation academies. We also see a proliferation of the suburbs. Before Brown the Board of Education, we didn't have – suburbs were there, but they weren't huge what they have now. But we have suburbs. Now, what's important to say is that where did they get the money to build those roads? Where did they get the money to create those suburbs? They took them from the city. So now you have black folks who are told, hey, integrate schools. And then the white folks, they leave and take their resources, take their property values, mm-hmm. take tax money and tax dollars. And so here we are scrambling, talking about integration, and they have left. So I'm from Rochester, New York, born and raised, mm-hmm. proud upstate New Yorker. And the city that I grew up in is 50% white. Currently, right now, 50% white. But, New, but Rochester's public schools, 10% white. That is what we mean by the hyper-segregation, mm-hmm. what folks out of UCLA call uh, apartheid schools. Mm-hmm. Because you took the resources with you. You took the resources you denied us to have black teachers, so now we have inexperienced teachers teaching our children. We have programs like Teach for America that say, "Hey, you can you can be a teacher. You can be a teacher. Just you got a college degree. You don't really need experience to teach with these kids. Come on, you can be a teacher." Mm-hmm. We have educational entrepreneurs who make money, big money, off of unproven experiments on black children in school every single day. When I say experiments, I'm saying curriculum that they don't understand that has never been proven or mm-hmm. tested. Research that they have never been proven or tested. Where do they try this stuff out? On our children. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing and watching the impact of Brown play out. And what I say in the book is that we are in the revenge because black folks did what was right for democracy. Mm -hmm. At that moment in time, for this country to call itself a democracy, it had to integrate schools. That's, that's why the decision in the Supreme Court was unanimous.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It had to. It was a testament that we were actually a democracy. How are you going to go around the world telling the world what to do when you got segregated schools? Mm-hmm. And so at that time, this was political to integrate schools. Yeah. And black folks were punished for the very idea that we would believe in integration.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you um, again. so much running through my head here. Uh, um, let me move, let me move a little more swiftly here. Um, here's the first question: Whether or not, not whether or not, uh, but why? That may be a better phraseology. Why? Why rather than whether? Um, we have never recovered from the mass exodus of black educators.
1: That's a great question. So after Brown versus the Board of Education, you see policies change. You see school boards change policies for what it means to be a teacher. You start to see all these type of tests come in to be a teacher. So they change the rules on what it means to be a teacher and how you become a teacher in this country. So they, they pretty much exclude black folks through policy to keep us out of the classroom. But I also want to be clear, the writing begins to be on the wall. So if I'm a, if I'm a black educator looking at what's happening fifty years ago and looking at what's happening now. This has become a hard profession to sell. Mm-hmm. Also with the climbing student loan debt. Who wants to be eighty, ninety thousand dollars in debt to make a job to have a job that's gonna pay you thirty five thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And we've also watched the deprofessionalization of education in this country. Right? We watched more standardized testing. We watch in the ways in which teachers have not been given 10 years through charter schools, teachers have been denied um, healthcare through charter schools and we have we have schools in this country right now that don't have clean water mm. like this is the United States of America and we have schools that don't have clean water we have schools right now that air quality is creating learning disabilities could you could you think about sending your child sending your baby to a school
2: mm.
1: where it doesn't have clean water and doesn't have clean air and we are here in the United States of America mm. right now so what Erica Miner, one of my great colleagues out of Chicago, says, listen, teachers' working conditions are students' learning conditions. Mm. And when you have poor working conditions, it is hard to recruit and retain, yeah. particularly teachers of color. Also, the point that I want to make is that teachers of color do invisible labor. When you are the one black teacher at your school, when you have all these little black faces looking at you, you are doing invisible labor so you're also doing more labor and getting paid either the same or less. Yeah. So this profession systematically teachers have been taken out and symbolically teachers have been taken out because you can look and see this is a profession that this country has deprofessionalized.
0: Yeah, I thought I heard, and if I didn't, you can back me off of this, but I thought I heard <laughs> what I would term a subtle indictment of, uh, mm-hmm. of Teach for America. Uh, and if I heard that indictment uh, subtly, uh, then what I take away from that indictment is that it's not that some of these kids can't learn, it's that some of these teachers can't teach.
1: That's, co- that's correct. And in the book, I'm not subtle. I might be subtle on the show, but in the book, I'm not subtle. <laughs> but that, that's correct, right? Yeah. What we, I mean, there's some things that we just know as educators. There's some things we know, particularly as just human beings and common sense, right? We, you wouldn't let somebody build your house who had no experience. You wouldn't let somebody open up your heart who has no experience. Why do we do that with Black children? Mm. That's first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Second of all, when you have students who have historically been denied access, right? We need the best teaching them. It's not that they can't learn, but if I need the most because I have been historically denied opportunities, my family has been historically denied opportunities. I don't need somebody who is just learning what to do. I need a veteran, baby. Yeah. If I'm gonna go to the championship, I need vets. <laughs> And so right now what you have in many cities who have students who have the most needs, you have novice at times, you know, unseasoned teachers teaching them. And what we know that works is that you have small classrooms.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? I'm sure you've heard, I'm sure you probably mm-hmm. reported on schools with 35, 40, like just common sense. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody can teach. I don't care who you are, 45, 45 first graders. It's not going to work. Yep. Then you want, and then you want to get somebody who's been in the classroom for a year? Mm-hmm. We have to be thinking if these are the students who need the most, then they deserve the best. Yeah. They deserve the best teachers, the best working conditions, the best curriculum if we are truly about the work of justice.
0: Yeah. I've got two minutes left here. We'll continue on the other side. I want me just get you started on this and we'll, again, uh, come <laughs> forward with it. Um, you had a, a pretty uh, damning indictment, as you should have, of, of Ronald Reagan and what happened in his era with that nation at risk and classrooms and chaos, et cetera, et cetera. I could offer the same kind of indictment of George W. Bush for what mm-hmm. he did on education. But the one thing I said on this program before that he was right about uh, two things George Bush did right in eight years, one, he was really good on Africa policy, better, frankly, than Obama on Africa policy. Mm-hmm. If you know what I'm talking about, if you know the research yes, on this, I do. He, was better, yep. he's mm-hmm. be- he was better than Obama on Africa policy. Um, that said, he was also right, secondly, about a line he used that I loved. Uh, and the line is, the soft bigotry of low expectations. That that's what black children, I think, are up against every day. The soft bigotry of low expectations. I could argue him on the word soft, but, the, but, but whatever word you replace soft with there is a kind of bigotry of low expectations when it comes to black kids i think he was right about that uh, do you think he was right about that statement
1: yes but we're gonna have to go a little bit further on george but i do think he was right about that statement but if i could add something to that statement really sure. quickly sure. A researcher called her name is leslie stewart and she says it best in my opinion mm-hmm. she says that this country believes that without white intervention black lives are disposable and black lives are tragic hmm and I think that's really it because yes the soft hand of bigotry but he doesn't say who's doing that
0: bigotry gotcha yeah no that that's a powerful point and I I, I thought you were going with that uh, because these two things can certainly be linked. This notion that 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 without white intervention, black lives don't really matter. Um, That's also, I think, an indictment of Teach for America. And again, I don't want to just I don't want to just use a broad brush with them. But I know too many white folk, too many good white folk who've gone into that program out of some 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 feeling that they're going to save these black babies. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Am I making sense to you?
1: Yes. I mean, like I said, they think our lives are tragic without them. And so when you walk into a classroom and you don't know our history, you don't know what we have done. If you don't know that, listen, There was no public education in the South without black folks. The boy says this in Reconstruction, right? They weren't even interested in educating their children. It was us who said, no, All children should have a free public education, particularly in the South. We did that. So when you walk into the classroom and don't know you educated because of us, then you think less.
0: The book is called Punished for Dreaming, How School Reform Harms Black Children. And how we heal uh, a great deal more to unpack regarding this text when we come forward. I want to come right to this question. Um, And she teed this up earlier. Dr. Bettina L. Love, the author of that book, did. Our guest in this hour. Um, We always talk in this country about defunding education. But when you say defund the cops... Defund the police, all hell breaks loose. Why is that? Why, why why, are we okay with defunding education but not defunding police? I'm not suggesting that the latter is, is, the, is the appropriate response. I'm just asking a question. We will talk about defunding education but not defunding law enforcement. You're listening to Tavis Smile. This is getting good. good. Yeah, man. Tavis Smiley, Tavis Smiley continues when we come when forward. 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 Helping to, helping make, to you make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. Dr. Bettina L. Love is the William F. Russell professor at Teachers College in Columbia University. Her new book is titled Punished for Dreaming, How School Reform Harms Black Children and how we heal, we'll get to the healing part, I promise you, between now and the time this conversation <laughs> wraps, there is some healing that she recommends that we can engage. Um, but I, I want to come right to this question again that uh, I posed moments ago that I want to get your response to about why it is that we are so comfortable, uh, my word, not yours, having a conversation um perennially in this country as it were about defunding education certainly where black children are concerned we will we will we will jump quickly into a conversation about defunding education but you say defund the police then uh is what happens right so what 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 address that frame for me if you will that dichotomy
1: yeah thank you for that question i think the the first thing goes back to what we believe is failing in our society mm-hmm And so when most American Americans don't believe that the police system is failing. Right. And we have, we have data that shows that, you know, we have Pew study and research that shows that, you know, at the height of, you know, the, the marches and the protests and the uprisings over the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, like we saw this country say, Hey, maybe we should think differently about policing. And then we have data that shows maybe six months, a year later, Many folks are like, we good now. It's like, well, well, we didn't really do anything. (laughs) And so what happens is that when you don't believe that this institution needs – is in a crisis – then you don't want to defund it because you believe that it's working the way it was designed to work. And I think that's what many Americans believe when it comes to policing, is that we need police in this particular type of way, and this entity, this public service is working for everybody. Now, you take something like education, and people say, well, why do we need to fund that? It's not even working. It's not even good. Mm -hmm. We're not getting what we want. But then in the same breath, when you ask most parents, do you like your kid's school? Yeah, I do. So it's always about this idea that, you know, when it comes to education, it is something that is in crisis. Is it something that can't be trusted? And you're seeing right now the notion that teachers can't be trusted. They're teaching these things, what we don't want our children to know with no evidence, with no data. But when you can create public chaos and public worry and public angst around a particular institution, then it's easy to say, well, we should defund it. Yeah. It's not working the way it was supposed to work. And so we, we can talk about education and defunding education because we have had decades of people under making education out to be something that it isn't for an opportunity to underfund it.
0: Yeah, What's your critique, uh, Dr. Love, of the private interests that have infiltrated our education system?
1: Well, I want to be very clear to your listeners is that this, we are allowing a very small group of people to change the course of public education in this country. This is not widespread. This is not happening. I mean, like, we are allowing some rich, organized folks, some parents that got a lot of time on their hands mm-hmm. to change the course of, of public education in this country. And what we're watching is governors and state representatives and school boards push this stuff through with no data, they can't give us any examples. And if they do have one example, one example is not how you change a whole course. Because what you just said, if it was about one example, we would have changed policing a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not, it, we, we are allowing a small group of people who are very organized and very well funded, uh, who want to pretend like they're grassroots, but they're nothing of grassroots to change the very course of education. But why are they doing this? They're doing this again to create chaos because at the end of the day, the goal is to privatize education. And you can't privatize a public good unless you can, unless you can explain to the public why that public good is no longer working. So this is a long, long game that they're playing. Yeah. It may seem new, but they have, been, they have been working on this thing for a very long time. And what I would say to your listeners is put what's happening in education in conversation and what's happening around the United States. So we saw just the last Supreme Court setting, right, affirmative action be gutted, mm-hmm. women's rights be gutted, mm-hmm. and education right now on a local and state level being gutted. Put them all in conversation because the folks who are doing it are all in conversation.
0: Yeah. Um, a couple of things I want to probe right quick here now. Um, I want to come to local school districts. You mentioned local education uh Tip O'Neill famously said all politics is local. We'll come to the local school boards in a moment and conservatives who are spending all their time. We're talking about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. They talk about school board elections because they that's know exactly right. what their agenda is. We'll come that's to that in a right. moment. We'll come to that in a moment here. But since you mentioned earlier, I don't want this hour to in uh, with people thinking that you just shanked Barack Obama and didn't explain <laughs> what your critique was. Uh, we don't want to shank the former president. So uh, I, I, I will say to you up front uh, that I had any number of arguments back in the with Arnie Duncan we went at it a few times Arnie Duncan and I Mm -hmm. did when he was education secretary under Barack Obama Barack Obama's friend they played basketball together all the time Uh, but Arnie Duncan I had some some tete-a-tetes back in the day but give me your critique of the Obama administration uh and your point earlier that no president frankly uh, has done anything good (laughs) what they should at least for black children uh, in their presidency
1: yes you know I think I think Barack Obama had good intentions Mm mm-hmm but good intentions don't necessarily always get impact. And so you bring up a very crucial name. is Arnie Duncan. Arnie Duncan had no real success in Chicago. Many people who are in the education sector, we did not want someone like Arnie Duncan. But what happened when you brought Arnie Duncan in is that you not only brought him, but you brought a lot of cronyism in. So if anybody who was watching education at that time, and particularly the Department of Education at that time, they will tell you that Obama's Department of Education nickname was the Duncan— Gates, re mm-hmm. Department of Education. Mm-hmm. So it was Ernie Duncan running things, Bill Gates running things, Michelle Ree out there doing all her unbelievable craziness and stunts in education. And then you have folks like Bill Gates who were coming up with the Common Core, where mm-hmm. we don't know where that is now. You have merit pay. Now, let's stop at merit pay. Obama had a, a huge number of cheating scandals during his administration because of merit pay. One of the biggest cheating scandals in Atlanta, Georgia, where teachers, black teachers in Atlanta, Georgia, went to prison, That's went right. to jail. That's right. They sent black teachers to jail under his administration. He did nothing about it. Now, some of those teachers did cheat. I'm not going to sit here and lie, but do you think going to jail should be the what you pay for changing some test scores? And then there were some... Teachers who were completely innocent, like Shawnee Robinson, who I talk about in the book, who has had her life turned upside down, suffering from PSD, because she's been out on bail for almost 10 years. At any day, she can go back. And so teachers were put in jail around the country for doing what we now know, what we think, allegedly, Michelle Reed did. But she was never indicted, never talked about. And so these were the policies under Barack Obama. Also, race to the top. How are you going to race to the top with one leg tied behind your back? Hmm. Never addressing true inequality. He gave grants, big time grants. Now, the one thing I want to stop here and say is that those teachers who were put in jail in Atlanta, Georgia, for cheating on test scores, the state used those same inflated test scores to get a $400 million grant. (laughs) No. So could you imagine sitting in jail? You are in jail because of some cheating on test scores, and you're watching these people parade around congratulating themselves for getting a $400 million grant because they raised the test scores with the same test scores you are indicted for and in jail.
0: It'd be laughable if these black women weren't somebody's mama and grandmama and wife uh, and sister and auntie, um, but that's that's how uh, – how asinine um some of this stuff is but I, I just wanted you to hear her obama critique i didn't want you to think that she just threw that name out there uh and there wasn't something behind it now now you know uh, more when we come forward with dr bettina l love on tavis Smiley. more of tavis smiley when we come forward fresh daily in the mert park los angeles california you're listening to tavis smiley have a and dr bettina l love um uh, shakespeare once famously asked what's in a name what's in a name uh how cool is it dr love to have have love as a last name
1: you know people ask me all the time did i change my name is that my real name that's my daddy's name that's yeah. my daddy's name i'm so proud to have it and Pass it
0: down to my children. So yeah, it's my real name. No, Love is a cool last name to have. I ain't mad. I ain't, mad at, <laughs> I ain't mad at your daddy. Um, you, you heard me say moments ago that um, I want to talk briefly here about um, these conservatives. Um, we are in a presidential election season. Uh, uh, Lord, Lord, help us all. <laughs> uh, we are in. We are in this season, and don't I know what I'm talking about? It every day, whether I want to or not. Uh, and yet, uh, I am uh, not unmindful that while we are focused on the national the election of the next president of these United States uh, conservatives have been and are now um, more aggressively targeting school board races. I'm not naive in asking this, but why do you think that is?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think at a certain point, they understand the that real power, real change, faster change happens on a local level. And if you need any proof of that, You know, in a matter of 18 months, they were able to pass over 115 critical race theory bans, book bans, legislative bans, right? The federal government can't move that fast. Mm -hmm. And so they understand where change can happen quickly, swiftly, and without little resistance. And so you're watching them organize through very well-funded channels on a very local level because they understand that is where policy can happen quickly and they can get in the door for for less for pennies on the dollar, right? We're talking about billion dollars are going to be spent on this presidential election. I can get in the door as a school board member for about $5,000, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they understand that for pennies, they can execute their agenda quick effectively and for less money yeah. so local 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 local
0: yep. um <clears throat> let's start this conversation now about the latter part of your subtitle how we heal uh again mm-hmm. in case you've just tuned in the book uh, the dr love bettina l love has written it's called punished for dreaming love that title punished for dreaming how school reform harms black children and how we heal let's talk about the healing dr love
1: yeah, so you know, I wanted to be bold in this book. I think we need some we need bold solutions for for these unbelievable times. And the thing about the book is that I just don't talk about educational policy. Like it is a book about policy, mm-hmm. but I use the lives of 25 Black Americans to tell the stories. So in between the policy conversations, our stories of real people, mm-hmm. and we see the harm that educational policy played out in their life. And if you believe and if you understand and if you're rocking with me through like 11 chapters that these things are harmful, then you have to be thinking to yourself, what is repair? How would you repair this harm? And too often in schools, we talk about data points and gaps. I'm saying it's harm. Mm -hmm. And so if we think about it as harm, then for me, harm means repair. And what does repair mean? Reparations. Mm -hmm. So what have we thought about educational reparations? So you think about California right now, California's on the verge of maybe doing something serious about reparations, but education isn't a lever. It's, It's in recommendations, and they have a great list of what they recommend and what they could do, but it's not actually a lever. So when you think about what the levers of reparations are, is typically mass incarceration, what we I would call air Miner calls targeted mass incarceration. It wasn't mass; they didn't target. Every, they target some people. <laughs> it is police brutality, mm-hmm. right? It is the devaluing of black homes, devaluing of black businesses, being denied a home loan, being denied a business loan. Like those are what we see as the levers for reparations. But what I would argue is that before you are denied a home loan. Before you are denied a business loan, you are educated in American schools as a black child.
0: Hold that thought when we come forward in our remaining moments with Dr. Love. We'll get her definition, then, of educational reparations. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis, Tavis Smiley. Like right. number 45 on the heavy 100 list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Tavis Smiley. Smiley. I've got about four minutes left here, Dr. Love. Uh, take it away on uh, defining educational reparations as you write about in your book, Punished for Dreaming.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm really grateful. I would just say, you know, when it comes to reparations, we have to look at the harm that's being done and not to just see it as a data point, see it as, oh, that's terrible, To see it as harm and repair. And I'll just give your audience one data set. In 2010, there were 100,000 black students who qualified for AP classes. They qualified. They had the test scores. They had the, the grades. And either they were not recommended or they didn't have, that, they didn't have AP at their school.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, those 100,000 students will go off to college and pay more in their student. They will pay more in student loans because they don't have, they're not able to transfer those credits in. That's reparation. Mm-hmm. When, when, in, in New York City, you can suspend a child 120 days. 100, it's only 180 days in a school year. <laughs> now, when you suspend a child... Everybody gets paid. When you suspend a child, you don't send them home with a computer, a teacher, a tutor, food, supplies. What if we suspend a child? You have to give a check. You think they'll suspend black children the way they suspend black children? We have to see these things as, and I want to say this, when you don't graduate, when you are pushed out of public education, when you don't graduate, that impacts your overall life earnings the potential of your overall life learning. And when we know, when you have a black teacher in the classroom, as a young black boy in grades first through third, when you have a black teacher in the classroom, the likelihood that you will graduate increases by 32 to 39%. Wow! So not having black teachers in the classroom, that is economically transforming your life. These should be levers of reparations, not just banking, not just the wealth gap, but it's education, because education is the hallmark of democracy. And if black folks are not able to be a part of democracy through education, that is reparation.
0: Out of time here, basically. Um, I've heard a number of people over over a number of years um, doing what I do in the media who have threatened uh, to start an aggressive Saturday school program across the country. I've not seen Mm -hmm. it as yet. What do you make of that idea, though?
1: What I would say to this to anybody, is that black folks have always educated their babies. Mm -hmm. Always. Newly freed slaves, while we were enslaved, we have never stopped educating our children. And so if it's a Saturday school, if it's after school, if it's at the church in the basement, we don't educate our babies. Mm -hmm. So they can ban what they want to ban. But we have never once stopped putting education as a lever for liberation in Mm -hmm. our lives. So we will always do what we have to
0: do. In the 30 seconds I have left, what do you make of the fact, uh, again, we're in a political campaign season, so we'll get, some, we'll get some rumblings about this, a little talk around the edges. But why is there a, a little national conversation about a structural overhaul of our school systems?
1: I, they're not interested. Yeah. And we have to be very clear. They're not interested. And I really think there's so many issues going on in our society right now, from climate change to we're seeing everybody striking. Yeah. We, have, and we have a president that's like a vice president, I mean a former president with 91 indictments. There's a lot going mm. on right now. And so education is working for those who are in power, yeah. and so they have no need to change what is happening. And many of them are profiting off of the failure of black children because mm. it's by design.
0: There's a war on black children. Uh, No, no question about it. According to Dr. Bettina Love, her new book is called Punished for Dreaming, How School Reform Harms Black Children and How We Heal. What a spirited and insightful conversation, Dr. Love. Uh, I I love that last name and I love this conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time.
1: Oh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate
0: it. A great honor to have you.